Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was their finest. Hey guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Guys, this is our hundredth episode. The big one hundred. People who have stayed with us this whole time, the five of you, I guess. There probably wasn't a lot of people in the beginning. Thank you. You're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who's joined us, you know. Like, you know. <laughs> Fuck you for joining late. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Woo. Um, yeah, so since this is our hundredth episode anniversary type situation, yeah. that means I'm going to be turning the brain off. Nice. Taking a break for this Sounds one. Sounds relaxing. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're going to do a lighter type episode. Yeah. And when we were discussing what kinds of topics we could do, Stacy came in hot, right? Yeah. She was like, the number 100 right. has, has some zeros in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. It's one zero zero. So we're going to talk about two holes. <laughs> <laughs> Our first subject will be the zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start out talking about the number zero, and then we're going to move on to other holes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking about anuses. <laughs> oh, what? You're going to do it up top? Yeah, man. You know what that's coming as a surprise? The people need to know, I man. see. I see. That's, gonna, that's what's going to keep them through the zero segment. I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about zero as a placeholder, and then we're going to talk about anuses, because anuses... Um, Turns out are really fascinating and they're important to me personally. You have been fixated. <laughs> yeah, I've wanted to do an episode on dick for like a while now, and you know Sean has successfully stonewalled my dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the anus is even Sean admits the anus is pretty miraculous, and there's a lot of types of anuses out there in the animal kingdom. Sure, it's actually one of the main things that still separates us from plants. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at this point maybe the only thing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know That's some right. people are a lot like plants some plants are a lot like people like these fly traps am i right okay <laughs> and of the seven or eight things that used to separate plants and animals in biology the only one left is the anus um, it's the, the Maginot line, or the Maginot hole, if you will. Oh, God. Yeah. So, so. We need, to, we need to start this episode so that we can actually get to the anus part so you can do all of this. Okay, okay guys. So, the zero and the anus. One, zero, zero, one hundredth episode! So, Sean, tell me about the zero. Um, presumably, it's such a simple concept. We've had it forever. Even primates famously use the zero, right? <laughs> like, like, for all the 6,000 years of, of all animal history, you know, because creationism, uh, we've had the zero, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a naughty bitch you are. Um, so, zero as, like, a placeholder, right? Right. Uh, like, when you're writing a hundred. Yeah. To, to kind of keep those the single digit spot and the tens digit spot to keep that kind of open and available for math purposes. Sean, I may have failed math. Okay, but I know what a zero is. Hold Son on. of a bitch. We'll see how much you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was invented by both the Mayans and the Mesopotamians independently. Really? Yeah. I thought like the Hindus invented it or something. 
Not exactly. Okay. okay, so this is just as a placeholder. Yeah. And part of that is because it makes just doing things like addition easier. Right. right when you have it as a placeholder. Okay? Right. But in India, the zero was then both used as a placeholder and as a more sort of like fancy kind of philosophical absence of stuff. Right. It right? kind of helped reflect the basic nihilism at the core of Buddhism. Okay. Right, it's Hindu <laughs> propaganda to be like, Whoa. we're number one, Buddhists are zeros. Yeah. <laughs> we're the heroes. A lot of... <laughs> As like on the Gupta Dynasty banner. <laughs> Modi's coming from you, dude. <laughs> he's, he's coming at you. I'm, I'm with Modi. No. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> but this, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but um, like, like, for example, in India, the sort of mathematical concept of a number plus zero is equal to that same number. Yeah. It's something that came out of Indian mathematics. Cool. But there was a lot of cross-cultural kind of talk and everything like that. And right. And so I think the zero, at least as it's partially understood today, in the algebraic sense, definitely came out of the Arabic world. Cool. You know, cognitively, the thought of nothingness has, like, several stages to it in terms of, like, what animals can do. Right. What... First you listen to Blink-182, and then someone <laughs> introduces you to Elliot Smith. And and then finally, eventually, you find Velvet Underground. The whole time, it's just just nothingness, <laughs> <laughs> but different kinds of nothingness. Yeah, yeah just this <laughs> hole in your heart. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Like you're you're listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're like, this means nothing. <laughs> These words mean nothing. So the easiest level to kind of understand about nothingness is a change in some kind of stimulus. Okay, okay. like a light that's turned on getting turned off right right so you can recognize that absence of something that was once there right right and like cells can do that right okay. like basically any living thing is able to detect a change in stimuli in that's the external good environment right? it would be really hard <laughs> it'd be hard to stick around yeah. yeah exactly so the second level is the recognition of the absence of something right so the same first step but the second step is to try to do something about it so like oh I'm hungry. There's yeah. an absence of food in my stomach. I need to go get something. Right. right. Still, this is where many humans fall apart. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you say that. I have a really hard time remembering to eat lunch. Yeah. So I definitely have this issue. <laughs> now, the point where we start to get a little complex in terms of like what animals can do and everything is recognizing that zero or like an empty container is less than one. Okay. Saying it out loud, it sounds kind of simple, but right. Actually, yeah. So when you do a test. Like, let's say on a computer screen, there's a bunch of cards and those cards have some number of dots on them. Right. right? And like what you have to do is pick the one that has the most dots. Yeah. Okay. And it'll just show two cards and you just pick whichever one has the most. All right. Adults will pause for a while if they're comparing a blank card and a card with one dot. Uh Like it's not as immediate a choice. Interesting. Yeah. Like we have a second longer pause with that. I tell you what, between the plate with one hamburger and no hamburger, fucking instantaneous, dude. Yeah, dude. Burger. Yeah. Well, that's the reptilian food side of things. You know, you that's know what's true. going on food wise. Yeah, it's easy for me, especially since I am a reptile. <laughs> Just but, hiding in human skin. So, you know, so that's for adults, though. Yeah. But, like, for babies and stuff like that, and for young children, the more separate from zero that the number is, the faster they get the concept. So, if you put out two cards and one of them's like, it's got like six dots and the other card has nothing, they'll pick the six-dot one really quick. Yeah. But if it's one dot or two dots or something compared to none, they get it wrong like 50% of the time. Interesting. Yeah. And so zero is actually very much a learned concept. Yeah. I think over time we get better at distinguishing the fact that an empty container is actually like 
in some kind of conceptual mathematical sense, actually less than the presence of a single thing. You know, that's how mammoths would actually evade human capture. Is they would keep cards on them, put out a blank <laughs> card, toss out a one, blank card, and, and he would be like, "What is it? <laughs> oh no!" This is before Mesopotamians, of course. <laughs> they would be like, oh, "Yeah, it's, awesome. it's funny. You can train chimpanzees to pick out the higher card thing, yeah. and they actually perform slightly better than human children. Ah, but this is an adult chimp, right? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay. yeah. But you can also train uh, honeybees to do this. Yeah, but honeybees are like. Like, don't they, like, share a mind through telepathy? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No, but uh, they are surprisingly... Well, it's not no. Just science hasn't proven or disproven this yet. That's great. (laughs) I guess that is technically accurate. (laughs) Honeybees are surprisingly good at counting things, apparently. That's, like, a thing that they do pretty well. You know, when you hear buzzing, that's actually what you're hearing. It's not like their wings or anything. It's actually the telepathy between honeybees. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) That's... that's, That's waves. <laughs> That's the sound of waves. That's the Heisenberg telepathy principle. <laughs> is that bees do it? I can't be mad because this is already supposed to be a stupid episode. So, like, <laughs> so this is fine, right, everybody? <laughs> Let's just do this. Okay. So that's, I think, what I wanted to say about zero. Okay. Okay. So I think now it's important that we transition smoothly into another kind of hole. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is the segment that you've been preparing for yes. for like pretty much your entire life. Yeah, this is pretty terrifying because <laughs> I'm kind of taking the lead on these notes, which means that they have a little less science. <laughs> I don't, you said a lot of science words in there. I was kind of impressed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, audience, you'll find out about it very soon. Let's take a break. Yeah. And when we come back, let's begin our Nathan-led discussion into the universe of anus. Yes. Or anus. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone knows what he's talking about! (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all... Using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com and use the code LISTENA5 at checkout. Valid until June 30th for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up 2021 needs. Omeo. Plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. So as Sean said, we're about to have a long-form kind of dialectic on the anus. Much like how all of Plato's dialectics was on some fundamental level about getting in an anus. Oh, he was Greek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even then, people were like, look, Plato, we're all Greek, but like, <laughs> you need to stop fucking people in the butt. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, I'm so tired. It's been four a day. And you're like, Plato. <laughs> yeah, not since Pythagoras have we seen such a butthole hound. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, guys, I've always, um, I have a great relationship with my butt. It's not me gloating, it's just a fact. Um, but it hasn't always been this way <laughs> you know uh, the inspiration for this segment I think really started about six years ago in South Korea I started having these oh by the way close friends of the pod know this story so sorry about that you could probably fast forward like 20 minutes no they want to hear it again <laughs> yeah. well you know so it was like a dark and stormy night in like 2016 I think it was uh, winter I was working a lot not prostitution. It's going to seem like that in a second, but like it wasn't. I was a teacher. But uh, I started to have a butthole pain. 
right? Around on, on a Sunday. I remember it clearly, right? It was one foggy morning. <laughs> so I had this butthole pain. You know, Stacy, she's on top of shit. She's my fiance at the time. She was like, you got hemorrhoids. So we get some hemorrhoid suppositories. I was a little uh, intimidated by them at first. And I put them in and I kind of prefer suppositories now. <laughs> like for a lot of things. You you have asked if there's a suppository version of yeah. way too many things. Yeah, like I, like I rolled to Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you guys got suppository? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we did. <laughs> Give me like a little burrito. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so you know, I, around like midnight or something, I take a suppository. I call Stacy at like 3 a.m like crying because i'm like oh my my butthole's falling out <laughs> it hurts so bad my anal pain was so intense uh i felt like i was dying so in the morning we go to this hospital the first story was a dinosaur museum weirdly enough on the boulevard in seoul south korea so there's like a big skeleton of a stegosaurus walked underneath it went to the fourth floor it was like a holiday or something so most of the lights were off it felt like the shining mm-hmm. it's korean doctor we finally see one and stacy and korean was like uh, do you do butt stuff? And he was like, no. <laughs> he was like, I don't do butt stuff, man. You got to go to this really fancy hospital uh, like 30 minutes south by taxi. Get in a taxi. It was like the worst pain I've ever felt. It was like a jackhammer. Every pothole in a South Korean boulevard. Mm-hmm. Just like right up into my butt. Yes. We get to the hospital. And I'm like sweating, right? <laughs> yeah, like I'm in course. the worst pain I've ever felt yeah. in my asshole, which again, I love. Like I have a yeah. great relationship with my anus. Yeah. Um, it's like when you wake up and your dad's just gone. What? <laughs> like, it hurt. It gnawed deep in me. Yeah, yeah. And deep in my butt. It was like a soul level pain. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the hospital's like, look, he's some foreigner without insurance. Like, you got to book like three months in advance. He's just like, no, his assholes die. My fiance's assholes die. He's an American foreigner. He doesn't speak the language and his assholes die. He's like, fine, fine, fine. So they get me to a doctor. And this Korean guy comes in with a wide smile and, like, the thickest thumbs in history. <laughs> and I'm lying on the table with my pants down, my butthole exposed. And he was like, where does it hurt? And I was like, it hurts north by northwest, 35 <laughs> nautical degrees. they just, run! just stick the thumb right in my butthole. Wow. Woo! Right? It just hurt so bad. He's moving his thumb around. He's like, does it hurt here? And I was like, ah, it hurts there. He's like, does it hurt? What? Does it hurt there? And I was like, ah, it hurts there, He's like playing me like a puppet, right? Uh-huh. I develop a fever. I'm like 102. Uh-huh. I'm on like some funky Tylenol. I take like a bunch of CAT scans or something. Finally, they realize I don't have hemorrhoids. I have an anal fissure. Mm-hmm. A wormhole has opened up. <laughs> Due to a matter, antimatter, particle collision <laughs> inside the super collider that is my anus. Mm-hmm. They throw me into an operation room. Give me a lumbar puncture. So I'm conscious as 20 of the most beautiful, handsome BTS nurses and doctors walk in and stand around yeah. as like three guys vacuum my asshole with me conscious. Yeah, And that it's weird great. because I could feel it. It didn't hurt, but I could heal it vacuuming my asshole. Uh, as they vacuum the out of my fissure. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's beep some part of that. <laughs> but, yeah. This nurse kept getting called, and it was Maroon 5. And so I'm getting my asshole vacuumed, and I don't mind spending every day out in the middle of the... <laughs> I asked the nurse, a male nurse, I was like, hey, man, can she put her phone on silent or vibrate? <laughs> I just thought on Maroon 5. Yeah. And he's like, no English. <laughs> so I'm listening to Maroon 5 the whole time my asshole's getting vacuumed. 
uh, you know, I'm in the hospital for like three days afterwards. Uh, I have no insurance at all. And for surgery, no insurance, the bill came out to be $2,600. Because America has the worst healthcare system. <laughs> Fucking socialists. I know, man. Goddamn Korean socialist capitalists, whatever they are, they're doing it right. So you had some kind of infection. There's some kind of, yeah, little tear or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I never, I realized that I had loved my anus like a, like kind of an absentee lover. Sure, right. or it was like superficially. Exactly. You didn't dive deep to understand truly. I never appreciated mm. it in the way that I do now through suppositories. <laughs> right? <It's> beautiful. <laughs> I'm addicted. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you guys may be wondering, why this story? <laughs> why here? Why now? Are we even going to keep it in the episode? <laughs> I, I hope we do. Yeah. I think that was excellent. The reason is because this started a, a lifelong search in my heart for <laughs> anus facts, right? Which is culminating in this pod, I like to think. I remember when Sean and I first sat down, we're like, let's do a science comedy pod. I was like, this is because of my lifelong quest for the anus. <laughs> Your anus, my anus. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not an incest thing. <laughs> it's just like, just like anus. <laughs> now we're going off track. <laughs> I feel like we've lost our way. <laughs> so that's, uh, this is why I don't, I'm not usually in charge of episodes. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> but anyway, for this episode, for the rest of this episode, I hope you share with me you know, just indulge me mm. in a love and fascination of, of the most neglected hole of the human body. Oh, God, wait, what? Right, they, well, not neglected in all circles. <laughs> just I, think, I think we do need to take a break. <laughs> I think your vignette, I think everyone's got to sit with that for a couple minutes, you know, like they got to just like really absorb that. And then, yeah, let's come back and then we can discuss the evolution of your North Star, right? Your guiding right. principle. Exactly. Anal evolution. Yeah, we're going to talk about the evolution of the anus. Kind of some debates within the anal community. Okay. Uh, the anal scientific, the <laughs> proctological. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about some really fascinating anuses around the world. <laughs> Great. And we're going to end on how right now anuses are so unipurpose in the human body. Perhaps through uh, Japanese Ohio science, we can make our anus work for us. <laughs> Great. Econ News! So, Sean, have you heard the news? What news, Nathan? Okay, so Thomas Picardy, he's like that French economist who had that whole big book about inequality and shit a couple of years ago. Okay. You know, tracing like trends in inequality across, I think, the Western world, maybe the global, I don't know. I didn't read it. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so there's a new paper out that he has with a couple of other co-writers that graphed education versus wealth with voting habits. So basically, depending on your educational status and the amount of money you make or have, I think have is really more important there, how do you vote? How can you trace that? Okay. He took 21 countries. He took a bunch of Western countries, and it was interesting. In the 1950s, he found that wealth and education correlated strongly together. Mm -hmm. And the more educated and wealthy you were, the more you voted center-right. Okay. The less educated and less wealthy, the more you voted center-left. And I don't know if his paper goes as far as say they reinforced each other, but they plotted the same trend. Okay. Right? In the 60s, it starts to decouple. And you start to have this chiasmus, if you will, that develops over time remarkably consistently over like five decades in almost all of these countries. 
where you have people who are better educated slowly getting more left wing, and then people who are wealthy still is an indicator of center-right politics, right? And people who are less educated increasingly become right wing. Until you have a point now in the 2000s where education and wealth indicate in exactly opposite directions. More educated people, more left wing. Less educated, more right wing. Wealthier, more right wing. Poor, more left wing. Okay. And I think this is intuitive to a lot of our listeners, but... Like, what's interesting is, again, it trends very cleanly across the decades and very consistently across all Western countries. So kind of like the whole West is amidst this transformation of just like raging stupid populists. So you're saying, yeah, the reason why you're a pinko lib cuck is because you're poor and well-educated. Yeah, I guess so, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. That's econ news. So, Nathan, tell me about anal evolution. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so uh, all bilateral animals can be categorized into two ways depending on how they develop anuses as an embryo. And this is the most fundamental category in biology. That's how important anuses are, (laughs) right? When Linnaeus first decided to to, to, to know that there were animals, (laughs) he he was like, tell me about anuses. Yeah, he finished the botany thing, and he was like, is there anything else? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Linnaeus' Proctology, very famous book in Sweden. Excellent. But anyway, so there's protosomes and deuterosomes, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, protosomes include mollusks, uh, annelids. Yep. I don't really know what those guys are. Didn't they, like, fight with Aeneas? All right. Earthworms. Yeah. There we go. And then arthropods. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones, deuterosomes, are echinobiderms. Yeah, close. Echinoderms. Echinoderms. Like a, a starfish. I mean, spiny stuff. Ah, and chordates. Yep. Uh, so, in general, like amongst all embryos, they'll form this little dent called a blastopore, right? And protosomes, uh, the blastopore turns into the mouth. But animals like us, the the great anal um, revolution, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Great Prince album, right? <laughs> Prince and the Anal Revolution was the first name of his band out of Milwaukee <laughs> or whatever. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> okay, and then in deuterosomes, that blastopore, that little dent in the embryo, turns into an anus. The mouth comes second. Right, right. So just so that everyone keeps track of this, okay, humans are anus first. Yes. That's like... That's very important. Yes. Down to like the depths of the animal kingdom. If you remember one thing <laughs> yeah. about this episode, anus comes first. Maybe from this entire show, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Humans are always anus first. Yeah. Great. Now, but the biologist Wikipedia <laughs> says that the anus or like the difference between protosomes and deuterosomes seem to start to happen around 600 million years ago. Okay. But this is really debated for a pretty simple reason I think the audience will appreciate in a second. Anuses don't keep well in fossil records, <laughs> right? Anuses, especially Kardashian, you know, are very fleshy. Right? What? Most anuses aren't bone. Are you allowed to say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything you just said? <laughs> Some anuses are bone. <laughs> like, oh. uh, there's this famous tribe of Papua New Guinea whose anus is just a bone cavity. You think the Kardashians won't come after us for this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they like that their butts are fleshy. Great. My butt's fleshy, too. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, 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 anyway. So, you know, because we don't have clear fossil records, it's hard to really know, mm-hmm. was it 6,000 years ago when all life began <laughs> that we first had protosomes <laughs> versus deuterosomes? You're the science guy this time. You can't do this kind of bullshit. <laughs> was it 600 million years ago? For a while now, there was like this kind of big, 
gas moment in the anal science community. I'm sure they have a different word for it, but we're going to know them as anal scientists from now on. Right. Where, like, there's this comb jelly animal that's been around for, like, 700 million years, and they have been doing anuses this whole time, and it kind of puts into question the dichotomy of the evolution of anus that we have right now. Oh, uh, but what some scientists think is maybe they've divergently evolved anuses. Ah, so, like, on their own... They figured out their own anus. Right. And then all the rest of us had this great divide. The great, right. The great schism we're, of anuses. We're going to talk about this later, but anuses are great. And it seems like <laughs> anuses are so valuable as a way to get rid of waste and, and many other things. <laughs> it's sponges. What do you mean we're going to talk about this later? That's what this entire episode has been about. <laughs> this <so far>. is <laughs> the theme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anuses are so great that they might have evolved separately like eight times mm. uh, with the Mayans, with the <laughs> <laughs> Hindus, and with the Mesopotamians, <laughs> right? Everyone's inventing the intestinal zero, so to speak. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully someone picks up something real about this, right? You've said several actual things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, that actually was the most impressive part to me. Right. So some people wonder, right? Again, there's a lot of debates in anal evolution since the fossil record is so spotty. This is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, not quite yet, baby. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might be that the mouth and the anus started in the same hole evolutionarily, and then slowly elongated, kind of creating a gut track, right? You know, intestinal track. Mm. Until finally we had a separate mouth and anus. Or maybe the mouth evolved first, and then as the gut developed, it punched through the other end. Oh, shit. Making the anus. Again, it might not have to be either or. There might be several times the anus evolved, and it evolved maybe potentially different ways. So, can I ask you a question? Yes. Does a straw have one hole or two holes? Well, is this like a, is this like a Stephen Hawking? Like, is this like a riddle or something? Is this like a- <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just, what's your opinion on that? Because I've oh. talked to some people who say that a straw oh. is just one hole all the way through. I think those guys are perverts, dude. <laughs> well, when I was asked this question at a party, yeah, uh, filled with non-scientists, uh. I told them that I hope it's two holes because otherwise our mouth and our anus are the same hole. Dude, see, this is and I blew nice. some dudes' minds. Really? I was very popular. They at the party. thought. <laughs> They thought they were going to blow your mind. Yeah, I And you blew around. them first. That was a science uh, M. Night Shyamalan switcheroo right Dude, there. Dude, we need to write some screenplays, man. <laughs> it's called The One Hole. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. So, we really take anuses for granted, right? I mean, like, one of the reasons anuses might have evolved independently in several different animals over the last several hundred million years is because, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, Adam only had one hole. Right. <laughs> or, you know, whatever the science equivalent of Adam is. So hundreds of millions of years ago, animals only had one hole. Uh-huh. And this was pretty gross. Right. So this means all waste, all food, all nutrition had to happen in the same kind of dent. Mm-hmm. This is problematic for a few reasons. Right. You could get infected, whatever. <laughs> That's yeah. A- I think you're right, though, that like if you have an efficient nutrient flow. Right. Right. You want. The fresh nutrients to be coming in in a direction, and it's nice to have all the waste shit going a different direction. Otherwise, it's going to get all kind of turbulent right. in there, yeah. As we elongated into a cavity that stretched like a body, right, you started to have what you, you were just talking about, right? You have like a discrete place to bring in nutrients. Then you have the compartments of a gut that you could slowly start to evolve and develop, where you could start to actually like get that good microbiome going, get, you know, kind of extract nutrients out of whatever you're consuming. Yep. And then you have a discrete place to poop it all out. Yes. Now, that said, this is still very anthrocentric right now because anuses are really not just for pooping in the broader animal kingdom. 
Ooh. Right? Anuses are these multifaceted, multi-purpose, kind of multi-hyphenate. Anuses are actors and directors. Right? <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so like a great example are sea cucumbers. We've all loved sea cucumbers. Some of us eaten cucumbers. Some of us eaten cucumbers off of naked brothers' bodies, right? Like we've all, we've all been around. Right? Um, sea cucumbers can eat through their anuses. They can consume algae through the butthole. They actually do gas exchange, so they can bring in some oxygen. The intestinal tract actually has a lot of blood vessels, right? So yeah. You, uh, we're going to talk about this a lot more later, but if you <laughs> could exchange some gas up in there, bro, you could really <laughs> oxygenate your like your total, your pelvis, right? So, that's, so they're doing gas exchange through the anus. They shoot out sticky web through the anus. So it's like, imagine if your anus was your lungs, was your mouth, was a machine gun. Robo-anal cop. Sure, there's right? actually, I guess there's a lot of animals, like the, yeah. there's a lot of mammals even that have glands in their anus for like squirting out stinky stuff. Right, a, a skunk, of course. I, I didn't even fucking think of that. Dude, there's a Dude. lot of anuses out there, man. Yeah. Yeah, let's put our minds together on this one. Nice. <laughs> and even some pearlfish live in sea cucumbers. Their so buttholes? Yeah, oh, so shit. sea cucumber anus is so many things at the same time. It's Levittown. It's the supermarket, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's the propane and propane accessory shop. That's pretty beautiful. <laughs> you know, sea cucumber is like a whole. It's a universe unto itself, right? Puts <laughs> my butt to shame. <laughs> my butt feels shame on a daily Aww, basis. <laughs> don't feel bad. There's fun stuff going up in there. Some people don't just have one butthole. Uh, but also some other animals. <laughs> no, no. Some animals uh, have many buttholes. Mm. Polyclad flatworms have buttholes all over their backs. Wow. Right? I'm going to need help on this, Sean. But there's sponge parasites, Cilis ramosa mm-hmm. and Ramicillus multiclaudata. I guess yeah, I didn't pretty much. much help. Yeah, was, you nailed that it. That was a pretty easy one. That was excellent. But anyway, they have maybe potentially thousands of tiny buttholes <laughs> that kind of fan out like the roots of a tree wow. across their back. So, tiny little poops all the time. <laughs> Never go to the toilet again. It's like your dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a little. I mean, these are all oceanic creatures. Sure. Though, sure. Right. Yeah, so yeah. poop just kind of oh, flutters yeah, yeah. away. The toilets everywhere. Under the seeds, better there. Right. Yeah, Why are we laboring under the hot sun, pooping into a toilet? You know. Something fucked up a long time ago. Something crawled out of the ocean and fucked up. Yeah. But anyway. So that comb jelly that I had mentioned earlier, this kind of evolutionary anal marvel, mm-hmm. they might even make temporary buttholes. Whoa. Right? You need a quick butthole, you pop one out of your back. Wow. Ah! <laughs> you move up. Think about how useful that would be, right? You're like, oh, I gotta squat one out. You just got an elbow. <laughs> a little poop comes out of your weenus. Great. <laughs> yes, yes. That does seem very, very convenient. And as we had mentioned earlier, some buttholes are defensive. This one is hilarious. Apparently, scorpions can eject their butthole to evade predators, but then they'll die because their poop fills up their abdomen. <laughs> Sounds like it's not worth it, to be honest. Well, you got like a few more days. You're like, I know I got 48 hours. So you can like finish your last night. I see. I see. So you can like go to Vegas or whatever. Yeah, or, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can skitter across the desert. <laughs> uh, lacewing larvae. And this is cool because apparently scientists haven't exactly figured out what composes their toxic farts, but... They toxically fart to kill termites and eat the termites. What the fuck? Yeah, so they just like power queef (laughs) right all over their enemies. Wow, that's pretty gnarly. That sort of reminds me of those uh, bombardier beetles, right? Right. It's a defensive mechanism. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that out there. 
Ah, it's crazy, man. Like, it's chemical warfare via anuses. Uh, it's actually very powerful among arthropods. So I wanted to mention this earlier. You were yeah. talking about evolutions of buttholes and stuff yeah. like that. And the nutrient flow thing reminded me that actually bacterial biofilms, which are just like a bunch of bacteria living together in sort of like a built community that they made. Yeah. Also organize into like almost like rivers of nutrients that go through and then waste gets expelled out of different spots. So yeah. So it's like even bacteria will build their own like kind of sewage system. Amazing. For, for pooping out bacteria poop. It's beautiful. The anus is what unites us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if there is a God, he's yeah. an anus because like definitely that's the unifying totally. principle of the universe. Too long has the anus divided <laughs> when it should unite. Great. <laughs> it's the ultimate creator of the poop. All right, so what other weirdo anuses do you have for me? Well, then we should, you know, talk about the cloaca. Of course. Right, so birds, dinosaurs, amphibians, at least most birds, dinosaurs, and amphibians, not universal. They have cloaca. Everyone, everyone here knows about cloaca. Uh, <laughs> everyone here has seen a cloaca. Oh, just in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's this hole. <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a hole that unites the digestive, urinary, and reproductive tracts into one beautiful hole. Great. Right? So you're going to poop, you're going to pee, and you're going to pop eggs out of the same thing. Mm. Now, it's very famously chicken cloacas. You'll throw them with a little, like, gochujang sauce, and you'll fry them up. And that's like a late night Korean snack. Stacey, what is that called again? Dongjim. I don't. Yeah, my bad. Dongjim. Dongjim is a game that little kids play where they like poke each other's butts and they go dongjim and then they yeah, and they run away. I don't like eating anything that has dong in its name. Have you ever had it? No. Most places wash it. I'm sure it's good. It's it's chewy and you need it for the sauce. I'm just saying the name gives me pause. (laughs) I hate it. Isn't it? It feels always wrong when someone says you eat something for the sauce, right? Because the sauce is like, by its nature, you could put on a different thing. To be honest, there's a lot of burritos I eat for the salsa. That's true. Anyway, Um, anyway, so burritos, (laughs) uh, cloaca. (laughs) I don't eat anything for the sauce. What what are some downsides to the cloaca, though? Okay, yeah. Well, you're just uh, one thing good before we shit all over cloacas, (laughs) right? Now, sexual uh, selection. Let's say you're a ladybird. Yeah. You're Greta Gerwig. And you're fucking some beta incel bird. And, and he's like, ah. He, he like, you're like, right? And you're like, and you're like, ew, this guy sucks. What was I thinking? It was a late night in Bird Vegas. <laughs> like, like uh, I don't want to be pregnant by his fucking bullshit sperm. The cloaca could actually... Shuffle out that bat sperm, right? Okay. No, no sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no sound effect. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, let's um, uh, rephrase that. So, when a female bird is having sex with like a beta incel bird, <laughs> it can <laughs> stop laughing. So I'm trying to be scientific. <laughs> you, like, let's restart it. And you say the exact same fucking thing. <laughs> I was laughing. Less. Oh my god. Shut! Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Shut! I'm sorry. Okay, well, anyway. So, okay. So, a female bird, if it kind of decides it's having sex with some male bird that's, you know, shitty, mm-hmm. it can actually eject the sperm out of the cloaca, right? Which is something that. Other animals ain't doing <laughs> so, so that's really useful. Right, right. Some sexual selection. We've all been there, right? Oh, I wish I could just get this <laughs> Wait, out of here. Oh, my God. But anyway, uh, anyway. But on the other hand, the downside is because your genitalia is in direct contact with waste, 
That makes it really hard to have live birth safely. You get infections. So cloaca, mixed bag. Right? Yes, I see that. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I yeah. understand now. Yeah. Then, you know, let's talk a little bit about mammal anuses. You know, mammal anuses tend to be a little more boring than anuses amongst other animals, but this is not universally true. Wombats. Sean, you actually wrote these notes, so tell me about wombat anuses. When I was thinking about anuses, yeah. one of the things that was kind of hot off the presses that kind of like hit my mind yeah. right, was that wombats poop out cubes. Wow. Their poop is not our poop shaped or anything like that. Okay. Like if you look at them, they look weirdly kind of like gemstones and that they have like, like actual kind of solid edges to them and are very cube looking. That's uh, like mine. <laughs> I no. poop. When I eat Legos, I poop them right back out. So the question arises, yeah. how are they making these cubed poops? Right. Okay. And so when I decided to add this into the notes, my thought was, you know, in sort of an extrusion process, like one might make certain pasta shapes or something. It's not that easy, though, is it? Right. So I, I was just assuming, like, maybe they have square right. buttholes. Yeah. You know, and if they have square buttholes, then okay, maybe the poop comes out that way. But as it turns out, wombats have regular looking buttholes. Okay. Okay. And so there must be some other thing that's leading to these cube poops happening. Okay. How are they doing it? Right. It's all from the intestinal squeezings, okay? Hmm. So I read this paper. It was published very, very recently, this yeah. year, in a journal called Soft Matter. Some people just got so much done in COVID. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, exactly. There's yeah. a lot of scientists sitting around being like, what can I write a paper about? Okay, cool. So Soft Matter. Right. Is it all about poop? Soft Matter is a very, very well-respected like material science journal. Oh, hilarious. So, and, and I guess they just appreciated the humor <laughs> yeah, of the situation. Yeah. The, the, the pun was too good to pass up. <laughs> so what these scientists were doing, though, are, like as material scientists and engineers, were like, there's something about the material properties of wombat intestines that's leading to the formation of cubic poops. Yeah. And so they like looked into it, and they're like, oh... Wombats have like an alternating elasticity to their large intestines. Wow. So it goes from like stretchier to less stretchy. And the muscles that are squeezing go through like these undulations that right. actually like form naturally these kind of cube shapes. Wow. And so as material scientists and engineers, their whole thing was like, maybe we can make machines and stuff like that that can make cube shapes just mm. by like squeezing them funkily. That's awesome. So if we put those machines as little nanobots, we could have awesome little cube poops probably sell them really expensive in japan you know like they do with watermelons yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, we could have all kinds of poop shapes nice. don't even stop at cubes Nathan. Dude, decahedron exactly whatever Dude. you want mobius poop <laughs> wow yeah, yeah, yeah it's never ending <laughs> um yeah so you know it just turns out not everything is shaped because of our buttholes nice there's more to this world than was dreamt of in our philosophy nice horatio <laughs> very sexy Hey right, guys, so we've just done a survey of all these mythic butts, but better than myths because they're real, right? Accurate, yes. <laughs> all these scientific booties. So good. All right. But, you know, humans, we are uh, cursed with a very boring anus. We just mm. shit out stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What if we could co-op some of the lessons of our animal friends and make anuses work for us? <laughs> now, luckily, I know you're all thinking it. Yes, please. <laughs> Luckily, there's this very, very crazy guy in Ohio right now doing awesome research. He's, he's an actual scientist. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> but, okay, let me rephrase that. We're going to talk about ways to use oxygen enemas. <laughs> to, Just dive straight into it. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the exciting forefront that is anal science. Excellent. After a break. Yeah, definitely a break. <laughs>
The following is an actual advertisement. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm a scientist. And I'm Matt. I'm a science enthusiast. If you're a scientist, or just enthusiastic about science, we have a podcast for you. Our show is called Curiosity Killed the Rat. And we answer questions like, what does the appendix really do? Why does a boomerang come back to you? Hypnosis, pseudoscience, or legit? All this with a spoonful of banter to help the science go down. With a new episode dropping every second Saturday, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at CuriosityRat. So for reasons that'll soon be apparent, we want humans to be able to breathe through their assholes. <laughs> but to take a step back, let's talk about uh, some animals that do already do that. Maybe we can learn some lessons from our not-so-furry friends under the sea. Excellent. All right. So, sea cucumbers. We mm-hmm. talked about this earlier. They can breathe through their butts. Yes. Some fish, like the loach, can breathe through their butts. Even sea turtles do a little bit of their breathing through their anuses. This is better than you think. You may be thinking, you may be thinking uh, I don't need to do that. You're wrong! Well, you're right, obviously. But we'll see. it's better than you think. Yeah. Right? The anal cavity and the intestines, there's all these blood vessels. Mm-hmm. If we could be getting all that good, good, good O2 in up in there, right? We could be oxygenating so much human body, right? This is why it works for fish. I mean, just like us, they have a lot of blood vessels and capillaries and shit kind of coming off of their intestinal tract. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you get gas exchange going on through the booty, it's just it, it works pretty well for oxygenating part of that fish. Sure. I mean, there's one of the reasons why suppositories work so well. And exactly. And you could imagine gas exchange could happen too. They work great. but so you know this is not something that happens in land vertebrate particularly this is like all basically oceanic dudes have been butthole breathing okay like Uh, scientists like check this out or something yes so scientists have been trying to figure out how can i make the butthole breathe (laughs) was it was it like one victorian scientist trying to like blow up animals like a balloon or something i think it was a nazi scientist (laughs) (laughs) fantastic yeah uh but he just he, he, he he was just a german he didn't support Nazism. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but he like hooked up oxygen tanks to like foxes' buttholes or something, and like he's trying to save them. Sean. Made little fur balloons. Yes. Terrible. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so you know, around the mid-century, scientists were trying to oxygenate mammals through the butthole, um, but it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Uh, now let me remind everybody. Some of you guys will just get me right away, right? Like I want to breathe through my blood. Sure. Not everyone's on the same page. Right. I've come to accept that. Sure. But think about it. First of all, if you could breathe through the butt, it would be funny. <laughs> right? Like, uh, like, I'm breathing through my butt. That's good. Okay? It would be awesome. It'd feel great. Right? You know? <laughs> I'm, le- I'm a little less sold on this one. I feel like you just feel really gassy. Like yeah. you fart the whole time, but whatever. Okay. Great feeling. <laughs> okay? Perhaps more seriously, ventilators, they're pretty invasive. Yes. Uh, they're tough on the body, mm-hmm. and there's not that many of them. Right? I mean, like, we're going through a pandemic right now, and it's apparent if we could find other ways to be doing gas exchange, that could probably save a lot of lives. So it's not just funny and awesome. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Sure. Okay. Now, that was a great elevator pitch. Yes. I'm on board. Right. Okay. Now, at this point, I should probably say that I'm a neoliberal shill, and a lot of this anus stuff actually comes from articles in The Atlantic and The Economist. 
legitimate publications. Yes. A lot of reading The Atlantic feels like reading about anuses. But... <laughs> <laughs> written by anuses for anuses. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they had some cool articles on anuses. So I, should, I think credit where credit's due. Yes. There was no way that, like, a humanities asshole like me was going to know a lot about anuses without that kind of, you know, jumping off point. Uh, but anyway, so there's this doctor, right? Mm-hmm. This guy. He's a guy, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. From the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, Ohio. It's not doing this on kids, guys. Don't worry. All right? His name... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that disclaimer. Okay. So, so somehow hitting that really hard makes it sound defensive. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. No matter what you heard, don't do it to kids. All right. Yeah, let's take a step right. back. Yes. Okay, so Dr. Takanori of the Cincinnati Children's Hospital in Ohio, right? He believes in butt breath, right? He knows we can breathe through the butt. Yes. And we don't got that many ventilators, so let's try to figure it out. He had this epiphany. Past experiments, again, done 60, 70, whatever, a bunch, a fuck ton years ago. Mm-hmm. No one, maybe because it's gross, no one ever thought to clear out the mucus that lines the anal cavity. There's a lot of mucus in there for a lot of, of course, very good reasons. Yep. But in as much as there's mucus, you can't be doing that good, good, good O2 gas exchange. Sure. Right? Yeah, it just gets in the way. It gets in the way. Right? If you put mucus all over your bronchioles, you're fucking dead. I mean, a lot of mucus. Yeah, okay. Not to be weird. There is mucus in your lungs. I know, but, but it's a probably lot. one that like allows for more diffusion. Than... Like a fuck ton of mucus. Yeah, right, <laughs> I'm no, like barrels. Well, don't do that. <laughs> all right. Like, I'm talking like mucus, like the same consistency as tar. <laughs> I don't think you... You don't know that much about this mucus, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please tell me you haven't been... Anyway. Um, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. so we gotta, we gotta get this mucus out of there. Okay, we so... We gotta scoop this stuff out of there is what you're saying. And, you know, this doctor, he loves that. So he started doing these real pervert trials, right? <laughs> yeah, like... He had all these mice, right? Yeah. yeah these fucking mice. Okay, and some of the mice, he cleared their buttholes. Yes. Like little, little, little Q-tips. Very small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeep! <laughs> he got all the mucus out of their buttholes. Excellent. And then he took those mice and his control mice, yep. uh, oxygen-deprived them. Ouch. Yeah, I know, pretty rough. And the mice that were oxygen-deprived, the control group, they fucking, like, died within 25 minutes, right? I mean, they, you know, asphyxiated. Control because they didn't get anything exactly. to help them. Exactly. Or the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's an important step. Yeah. So after clearing the mucus <laughs> butthole... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> After clearing the mice of their mucus butthole, Doctor Takanori yep. pumped like a like a bicycle pump, uh, so the common the common man can understand. <laughs> he pumped oxygen into their anuses. Great. Then he oxygen deprived those mice as well as a control group of mice. Now the rectal oxygen group, which I think is their formal title, okay. The rectal oxygen group survived for fifty minutes. Which is twice as long or, or maybe yeah, longer. Which is, yeah, twice as long or longer than the control group. So Crazy. he's like, I'm on something, baby. Yeah. Let's keep this butt stuff going. Yeah. So then the next one, he got some perfluorocarbons. So he got some perfluorocarbons and he, he fucking put a bunch of oxygen in them, right? And then he dosed the mice with those perfluorocarbons. Okay. So then they put the mice into a low oxygen environment. And the mice retained high oxygen levels for over an hour, which is four times as long as control mice that were put in the same deprived environment, but without any perfluorocarbons. Okay. The mice also didn't get dumber. Okay, afterwards, the behavior was perfectly fine. Nice, good. So, we're on to something. He didn't even have to clear the mucus out of the buttholes of the mice. So, something about the perfluorocarbon thing made it so that mucus clearing wasn't necessary. Right. You could still get the oxygen exchange. They're just digesting the oxygen. Oh. Right? 
or whatever. Yeah, that's fucking nuts, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So, boom. So, they tried it on rats and pigs. Wow. And it's working great. So, dude, Sean, no bullshit. Go into Ohio. They're starting human trials soon. All of our listeners in Ohio, just understand, right now, you could be getting oxygen up the butt. This is for science, <laughs> right? And for pleasure. It's rare for these two things to converge so clearly, right? <laughs> Do you know anything about the trial? Like, is it for people that are sick with something? Or are they taking, like, healthy people and being like, today you're getting oxygen up the butt, and we're going to check your oxygen levels or something? Sean, you have a good job. Don't go to Ohio just for this, all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know anything about the trial. I should have looked that up. I don't know why I didn't look that up. That's my good. bad. This it's is why good. I don't run episodes usually. Well, still, that was beautiful information. Like, right now, the human anus is just this empty shit hole, right? But we could turn to our lungs, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. It could be more multifunctional. You could put an oxygen enema up in there. Yeah, it could, be, it the could become the Swiss army knife of the human body, is what you're saying. Just like it is in sea cucumbers. Yes, that's yeah. excellent. That's beautiful. We're all about human enhancement, mm-hmm. right? You know, Very like much so. The next frontier in humanity. We're also all about efficiency. Mm. make your butthole work for you that's lovely right that's a great thing to take away yeah <laughs> well guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> holy shit well what are your concluding thoughts sir? this was the 100th episode everyone <laughs> um i hope you enjoyed what was largely a much more light-hearted episode mostly about butts yeah mostly i would say we were a little butt heavy yeah that's okay yeah, yeah. that's yeah. okay that was, it was still like, beautiful it was like three-fifths anus two-fifths zero Good times all around. <laughs> Nathan, you know what? Good job, buddy. Hey, thank you. Good job you. writing the, those notes. There was a pretty solid amount of science in there. Did you learn about the anus? I learned a shitload about the anus. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Well, so I think next week we're actually coming back with our final episode on allergies, mm-hmm. part four. Although sometime in the future we'll do food allergies and that'll be a whole thing too. So, you know, come on back for episode 101 yeah. to learn about the sort of future treatments of allergies. Thank you guys for joining us for a century of Petri Dish. Yes. Infinity Petri Dish, six seasons in a movie. And whatever. beyond, baby. Uh, let's say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord, engineer, animator, and person who just listened to us talk about anuses that entire time. Baby. Been together a long time. Oh, and also as the savior of Nathan's butthole, because seriously, she was a very that's, critical component of that. That's actually true. The only reason I'm here talking to you today yeah. is because of yeah, she, the effort she put in she, to save my butthole. She intervened on behalf of that butthole when Nathan was in a foreign a land. A butthole she doesn't even like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not her thing. All right. Uh, also, thank you to Brian <laughs> for art. And we have an email address, petridishpod at gmail.com. We have a Twitter at dishpodcast. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash petridish. Guys, please, if you like butt stuff, <laughs> donate. Oh, yeah, sure. We're going to uh, get some butt merch. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to request only one butthole pick per person on Twitter, please. Yes. No no more than that. We're gonna, we, don't, we don't need that many. We're going to get a new mask that's called Petri Hole. <laughs> it's just like no, a butt. No. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like the butt from Breakfast of Champions, like an asterisk, basically. <laughs> but uh, as a mask on uh, your face. Lamentable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. That's we, my nickname for my butt. <laughs> we will see you next time. Lamentable Steve. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> Have a good one. 100th episode. Woo! <laughs> Da 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 da